I cried on my wedding day. Uh, just gonna just gonna throw that out there to to get us get us started today. Um, we Tiffany and I had uh, you know usually you want to wait until the the bride is walking down the aisle for the groom to see. We decided to do pictures ahead of time because uh, we don't always follow traditions like that. And so we, but we did this big, big reveal. So I was standing up on stage with my back turned and she comes in and then I turned around and look at her and I will be honest with you guys. I teared up in that moment, um, because, uh, she was just so beautiful and it was such a momentous occasion, right? And it's, it's this, this big, uh, it's a big deal when you get married. The reason that, that I bring up weddings today and the reason that I wanted to show you guys this picture is one, because I used to be young and attractive and now I'm old and anyway, um, but also to say that uh, a marriage is a partnership between two people. A marriage is a, a time when you come together, you exchange rings as a sign of commitment. You say, I am going to love this person. I'm going to sacrifice for this person. I'm going to help this person uh, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, all of these things. So we exchange rings. We have vows that we say, and we create this partnership between two people where two people come together as one. Last week, we talked about God's desire to partner with humanity. And now we're looking at, again, this week, we're going to look at somebody that God chose to partner with. But one of the things that I want to call out and I want to point out right right away is that in the Bible, we use the term partnership because it's one that we're very familiar with. We know about marriage partnerships. We know about business partnerships. We know about uh, even even organizations that we're a part of and, and work partnerships and things like that. So we know what a, a partnership is, but the word that, that is often used in the Bible to describe a partnership is a covenant. And just for your guys' edification, the word testament, as in the Old and New Testament, also means the same thing as covenant. So what does it look like for us to partner with God? What does it look like to be in God's, um, to be a part of God's plan, to be a part of what God wants to do here on earth. Well, to start us off today, I've got a video that we're going to show, assuming that this works well. I've got a video that we're going to, that we're going to show right now that is going to talk to us about covenants and what covenants are in the Bible. So let's go ahead and watch this together. If you've been around Christians, you've probably heard of the idea of having a personal relationship with God, which could mean different things in the Bible, like having God as a friend, or your father, or maybe your teacher. But there's one particular way that the Bible talks about this relationship that you find all over. But strangely, we don't talk about it that much. And that's the idea of a partnership with God. A partnership like working alongside someone to accomplish a goal together. Right. And this is actually what you see at the beginning of the Bible. God creates this good world full of all of this potential. And then God appoints these unique creatures, humans, as his partners in bringing more and more goodness out of all that potential. But the humans don't want to partner with God. They rebel and try to create a world on their own terms. And so this broken partnership is the Bible's explanation for why we're stuck in a world of corruption and injustice and the tragedy of death. 
it's not like there's just one or two humans who have bailed on this relationship. In the story of the Bible, everyone has abandoned the partnership with God. So what God does is select a smaller group of people out of the many, and he makes a new partnership with them called a covenant. And in a covenant, God makes promises and then in exchange asks his partner to fulfill certain commitments. And the purpose of all of this is to somehow use this covenant relationship to renew his partnership with everybody else. Now, there are actually four times in the Old Testament that we're told God initiates a covenant relationship with Noah, Abraham, the nation of Israel, and King David. And it's through these that God is forming a covenant family into which all people will eventually be invited. So let's see how these work. The first one is with Noah. So in this story, God has just brought the flood to cleanse the world of humanity's corruption. And Noah and his family are the only ones left. And so God makes a covenant with Noah saying, listen, I know that humans will continue to be evil, but despite that, I'm not going to destroy it like this again. Instead, the earth will be this reliable place for us to work together. Great. So what does Noah have to do? Nothing. And that's what's so interesting about this first covenant is that God is promising to be faithful even though he knows humans won't be. The next time we see God make a covenant is with a man named Abraham. God chooses him promises to bless him, give him a large family, lots of land where they can flourish. And in return, God asks Abraham to trust him and train up his family to do what is right and just. And the whole reason for this covenant is God says that somehow he's going to bring his blessing to all families of the world through this one family. So that's Abraham. The next time we see God make a covenant is when Abraham's family grows into the tribe of Israel. And this covenant is with the whole tribe. God asks them to obey a set of laws, which are these guidelines for living well as a community of God's partners. And if they do this, then God promises to bless them and that they will become a people who then represent him to the rest of humanity. That's the covenant with Israel. The last covenant is with King David. Yeah, the tribe of Israel has become this large nation ruled by David. And God asked David and his descendants to partner with him by leading Israel in obeying the laws and doing what is right and just. And God promises that one day, one of David's sons will come and extend God's kingdom of peace and blessing over all the nations. So those are the four covenants that God makes in order to restore his partnership with the whole world. But here's what happens. Israel breaks the covenant. They worship other gods, they allow horrible injustice, and so they lose their land and are forced off into exile. So it seems hopeless. But during this time, Israel's prophets talked about a day when God would restore these covenants in spite of Israel's failure, somehow. Yeah, they called it the new covenant. And this is actually what's so interesting about Jesus is that he's introduced into this story as the one who fulfills all of these covenant relationships. We're told that he's from the family of Abraham, and so he will bring the blessings of that family to the whole world. We're told that he's the faithful Israelite who is able to truly obey the law. And we're told that he's the king from the line of David. And so he goes about extending God's kingdom of justice and peace to all. And that's really remarkable for one guy. Yeah, and what it highlights is perhaps the most surprising claim of all made about this man, that Jesus is no mere human, but rather God become human. And God did this in order to be that faithful covenant partner that we are all made to be, but have failed to be. And so through Jesus, God has opened up a way for anyone to be in a renewed partnership with him.
So Jesus calls people to follow him and become part of this new covenant family. And despite their failures, Jesus is committed to making them into partners who were becoming more and more faithful. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a fully renewed world, full of goodness and peace. And there's this renewed humanity there, partnering together with God to expand the goodness of his creation. And so the end of the Bible story is really a new beginning. All right, and we're back. Um, so I loved that video because it shows the the different types of covenants that we that we see in the Bible, and there are there are several different big ones. There's the the covenant that God made with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, Moses, David, and then ultimately the new covenant or the New Testament that we that we see in the when when Jesus comes and. Um, makes a new agreement between God and man where we don't have to follow the law anymore, but instead now we see God um, uh, because of what Jesus did for us, we can have new life and we can, we can partner with God in a deeper way than people were ever able to before. But we're going to go back to Abraham. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and turn over there or hopefully I'm going to have some some uh, pictures for us up on the screen here. Um, I'll have hopefully I'll have the text here up on the screen. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about how God wants to partner with us and how He can be trusted because He always keeps His promises. Now, one one thing about a partnership is we're always um, reliant on the other person to come through for us. If you're if you've ever been a part of like a, a study group at school or a group project at school, you know what it's like to have where you did 90% of the work and the other person or the other people on your team barely did anything and you're scrambling at the last minute trying to figure it out. But thankfully, we have in God somebody, a, a, you know, a being bigger than ourselves that, can, that wants to partner with us, that wants to, um, wants to bless us, that wants to, wants to, um, give to us to pour out his blessings on us. And so we see that in uh in the the story of Abraham going all the way back. Now, one thing about this message today is I'm going to mess up constantly the the difference between Abram and Abraham. You're going to hear me you're going to hear me saying it a whole bunch in here um and if I if I say the wrong name, just go ahead and, you know, post it in the chat. It's fine. Uh, I'm a big boy. I can handle it. Uh, early in his life, and right now, his name is Abram. And then after an encounter with God, God changes his name to Abraham. And so we're going to, um, we won't get into that today, but when we're, when we're reading the Bible, sometimes you're going to see Abram, sometimes you're going to see Abraham. All right. So our first question today that we're going to talk about is, would Abram go when God says to go. Now, as we as we're learning to partner with God, to come together with God, to see his will accomplished in not just in our lives, but in the world, one of the questions that we need to ask ourselves is are we going to be willing to go and to do when God says to go or when God says to do? We see this in Genesis chapter 12 where the Lord said to Abraham, "Go from your country 
your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse who and whoever curses you, I will curse all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, what we see here is we see, uh, first of all, the word bless is used a whole bunch of time. And, and the word bless just means God's favor being poured out on us. That, that when, when somebody is blessed, things tend to go their way. When somebody is not blessed, things tend to not go their way. Um, but, but it's, it's, so much deeper than that. It's so much more than just this idea of, oh, I'm, you know, things are going to go well for me if I follow God. Um, (laughs) For those of us that have been doing the Bible reading, we just got out of Job and you see how even people that follow God very closely, things don't always go well for them. Um, And it's hard sometimes for us to even comprehend this idea that God would want to use us, right? it's easy for us to look at somebody like Abram and be like, well, of course God wants to use him. Look at his life, look at his faith, look at his legacy that he left. Of course he would be somebody that God would want to use, but God uses all types of people. God uses, God uses everybody. I mean, you look at just in the Bible, you can see that, that Moses was a stutterer, right? Imagine God appointing somebody to go and lead his people. And it's like, Hey, I want you. I know that you don't talk very well, but I want you anyway. Um, Another thing that we see is that that David was unimpressive, right? Samuel goes through the whole list of Jesse's sons before he finally gets to David. Peter was a fisherman. That means that he failed out of school. He couldn't get a job as as a, a Pharisee or, or somebody that was educated. And so he had to do a, a fisherman's job. Uh, Matthew worked for the Romans. Uh, on and on and on, we see people that are unlikely and God chooses to use them and God wants to use you as well. Will you go when God says to go? And the thing is, I've heard your guys' stories. I've heard about God has re- how God has redeemed people that have been divorced. I've heard about single single moms that are raising kids God's way. I've heard about God bringing families back together. I've heard of people getting healed. I've heard of God pouring out his blessings upon you guys. I know that there are a lot of you here that have experienced God working in your lives. And it's because you've chosen to go when God says to go. When we partner with God, we see how God uses and God brings his blessings, not just on us, but on those around us as well. And such a powerful thing to be a part of. But it's not just going that we need to focus on. But also our next question is, are you going to wait when God says to wait? Would Abram wait when God says to wait? Now this gets to a more uh, um, uh, unsavory part of the story. So we're going to, we're going to read Genesis 15, but those of you guys that know what happens over the next couple chapters, you know that uh, things take kind of a turn. We're going to get there in just a second, but first Genesis 15, says this, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. And let me just pause there and say, that's what blessing is. To know that God is our shield, that God is going to protect us. He's going to take care of us and that he's our great reward. But Abram said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who's going to inherit my estate is my servant. And Abram said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household is going to be the one that's going to inherit everything that I own. 
Then the word of the Lord came back to him. This man will not be your, your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside. And this is such a powerful picture here. And he goes up and he points to the stars and he says, look up at the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He says, he says, they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. There's no way that you'll be able to count the number of descendants that you're going to have. And Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, we don't have to have time to go into the power that's behind this statement. Uh, I did a series on it last year in the book of Romans. We talked about Romans chapter four. If you want to go back and rewatch that one. Um, Really just read through Romans chapter four because it, it, it tells the whole story, this whole story from another point of view, from the point of view of somebody that's after Jesus looking back on the things that Abram experienced. And it is, it is powerful. But the truth is when I think about this, this question, let me see if I can get back to it here. Would Abram wait when God says to wait? When I think about this question, the truth is most of the anxiety that I experience in life is from me trying to do things my own way and my own power and in my own strength and me trying to get a whole uh, trying to get ahead of God. I'm like, God, I know where you want me to go. I know what you want me to do. I know what you want for Generations Church. I know how you've called us to be a blessing to our community. And I want it all right now. And I want to see it right now and I want to experience it right now. And so many of my so much of my anxiety, my pressure, even the the stress that I felt this morning was because, God, I want everything to be perfect. I want it to be exactly the way it needs to be. And I don't always wait on God in those moments. Instead, I push ahead. And with Abram, we see the same thing where, where he was. Now, what you need to know about this promise is God gives the promise and it takes 25 years for him to see the fulfillment of the promise. 25 years to see God come through for him. And that's a that's an astounding amount of time. When I think back to what my life was like 25 years ago, I mean I wasn't even married yet. I was just getting out of high school. Like life was so much different. And imagine getting a promise back then And you're like, I'm still waiting on it 25 years later. I believe that it's going to happen, but I'm not seeing any results from it. I'm not seeing any fruit of it. That is a long time to wait. So about 12 years in to this promise, which 12 years is also an incredible amount of time to wait on God to do something. Abram, uh, he, he fails, he sins. He takes advantage of a servant in his household. Uh, him and him and Sarah get together and and figure, hey, God's not doing this. Let's you know, you sleep with the servant. She'll have a kid. It'll be your kid. We can give him the inheritance, and that must be just what God wants us to do because we haven't heard from God in the last twelve years. And he tries to shortcut what God wants to do. Um, But even in this, in spite of Abram's sins, God still comes through. God still chooses to bless him. God still looks at him and says, this is somebody that I can partner with. 
Now, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know, I don't know what, what your um, life is like. I don't even know. Uh, it looks like we've got 27 people watching right now. I don't know uh, your situation. But I know that there are a lot of you that would say, I can't partner with God because I, I just, every time I mess things up, every time I screw it up, I, I feel like, you know, God is calling me to step out in this ministry, but I've got this addiction or I've got this problem at work, or I've got these anger issues, or I've got this thing going on. And I, I would love to allow God to work in my life. I would love to partner with God to see things changed here in Moses Lake, but I'm just not there yet. And here's what I believe God wants to say to you today, is that it doesn't matter where you've been, it only matters where you're going. It doesn't matter what you've, what you've experienced in the past, what matters is is where you are now and where you're headed to. And God wants to turn this around for you. God wants to take the sin in your life. God wants to take the, the things that you've experienced. And God wants to flip those things and turn them for good. Because that's what the Bible promises, promises us in Romans 8.28. Is that God works all things together for good. For those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So would, would Abram go? When God says to go, would Abram wait when God says to wait? And then our last question for today, would Abram give up what God asks him to give up? Now we're 25, actually we're uh, 37 years later, 37 years past this promise. And now Isaac has been born. He's the child of the promise. God has God has promised Abram that, that through this child, not only am I going to, uh, not only am I going to bless you, not only, but, but I'm going to bless the entire earth through this child. That through him, a nation is going to rise up and we're going to see the entire earth be blessed. Now, this promise is fulfilled in Jesus. That through the bloodline of Isaac and Abraham, Jesus comes, he brings salvation for our sins and he blesses and the entire world is blessed because of Jesus. But Abram's just a guy living in a country and God comes to him another time, Genesis chapter 22, and says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Now, see, now his name's been changed. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. Now, for for all of us living in 21st century United States of America, and even for Abram back then, Abraham back then, this idea of, (coughs) excuse me, child sacrifices would have been an abomination. The idea that he would take and sacrifice his kid, this is something that pagans do. This is something that, that cults do. This is something that is is completely outside of anything that God would ever ask somebody to do. But God asks him here. And the question is, the question for us is, are we going to be willing to sacrifice the promise that God has made for us? Verse three says, early the next morning. And I love this because Abraham, Abraham does not delay. But instead, he gets up, he loads his donkey, he takes two of his servants with him and his son Isaac, 
they take enough wood for the burnt offering and they set out for the place that God had told them about. And they they go up the mountain. It, Isaac says, "Hey, where's the sacrifice?" There, you know, Abram says, "Well, why don't you come lay on this altar right here, and I'll show you where the sacrifice is." Um, and they get all ready, and then this is what God says to him: "The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a sec- from heaven a second time and said, "I swear by myself," declares the Lord, "that because you have done this and have not withheld your son." So, spoiler alert. He does not end up killing Isaac, but in Hebrews, the Bible tells us that that Abraham in this moment had decided in his heart, believed God in such a way that he said, even if I end up killing my son, I believe that God can raise him from the dead because he is the child of the promise. So this is what, this is the belief that Abraham had in this moment. The angel of the Lord calls to Abraham from heaven a second time and says, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, now we see the covenant. Now we see the promise. I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities and their of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. The, the hard truth is this that sometimes the things that we spend the most time praying about, the most time believing for, sometimes the things that, that we are convinced are God's will for our life end up becoming idols in our life. Sometimes the things that, that we are waiting on end up becoming the things that drag us down. I don't know how many people... um this is this relates to, but I'm guessing it's most of us that would that would be able to say this in our life that you prayed about getting a house, getting a job, getting a car, having kids, getting married, getting you know all of these things, and then at some point along the line, those things became more important than serving God. A, a perfect example of this is kids. How many of us, when we were teenagers, young adults, we prayed about getting married, having kids, we believed God for kids, and then pretty soon our kids be the, become the ones through, through either um, you know, sports activities or, or whatever, we end up orienting our entire lives around our kids instead of orienting our lives around what God is calling us to do. We end up chasing this idol of family rather than the God that gave us the family in the first place. Another example of this is a church building. You know, I'm not sitting in the in the church building right now, but so many of us, we prayed, we we sweated, we bled over the building. We we believed God for the building. We we got it set up. We we, you know, paid for it, paid it off, all of these things. And then the building becomes an idol. And all of a sudden we have this this uh this space that now becomes more important than the ministry that God is calling us to do. And our board is very conscious of this and guards against it um, through the different discussions that we have to make sure that, that we're focused more on how we can do ministry, on how we can how we can believe God, how we can trust God, how we can follow what God is asking us to do, rather than being so concerned about a building, rather than being so concerned about, um, you know, keeping the the facilities up and and things like that. 
Uh, idols often start with good intentions in our life. Truthfully, uh, we all want security. We all want stability. We all want growth opportunities. We all want peace. We all want to understand what's going on in our lives. But what happens is we begin to bypass God and we start taking these things for ourselves. And this is the original sin. This is what Adam and Eve did way back in the garden is they saw something that was good. They saw something that God was offering them, this idea that they would know good from evil. And they decided to go around God and to get it in a way that God wasn't asking them to do. So our questions again are, will you get, will you go when he says to go? Will you wait when he says to wait? Will you give up what he says to give up? Galatians 6.9 says this, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And because of this, we see in uh, in Isaiah 41, we see in, in Romans chapter 4, that Abram is called ultimately a friend of God. That God chooses to partner with Abraham because he's willing to go, he's willing to wait, and he's willing to give up the things that might hold him back from having a relationship with God. So what does this look like in your life? Is it a new opportunity that you need to go to? Is there somebody that you need to call and say you're sorry to? What are the things that you need Where are the areas that God is asking you to step out and to go? Is there a service opportunity, whether it's in the church or outside of the church, where you know that God is calling you to minister to people? Is there somebody at your workplace that you need to talk to about him? Where is God calling you to go? Second question, where is God asking you to wait? Do you find yourself anxious or trying to shortcut the things that God is is wanting to do in your life? Do you find yourself stepping out? in in ways when God just wants you to sit back and to trust him? Where is God calling you to wait? And then the last one is, what does God want you to give up? It might be something like sin, but it might be something that's good, but that's just getting in the way of everything that God has for you. So what is God calling you to give up? Father God, we just thank you for this word that you've given us today, Lord. And, and God, I pray as we read and explore the life of Abraham and and the rest of your descendants, God, I pray that that we would see in, in your story, God, where we need to go, where we need to wait, and what we need to give up in order to serve you with everything we are. Lord, we just thank you and praise you for what you're doing. God, I pray that, that Lord, your spirit would, would rest upon us right now. God, even those that are watching in their homes, God, I believe that you are there in their rooms. And and God, I just ask right now that you would pour out your spirit upon them. God, speak to them. God, show them a place that they need to go. Show them a place that they need to wait. Show them something that they need to give up in order to be able to follow you more fully. God, I pray that we would all commit this year to partnering with you to see lives changed and people transformed here in Moses Lake, because we know that that's what you want to do in us. And that's what you want to do through us. And so God, I pray that you would just open up those doors in Jesus name. Amen.